You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 225 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stemmings and not joining me in the Kitchener studio this week is uh, my co-host Matt Smith because he is unfortunately driving his coach. I don't know why that's just started there. There we go. I'm back on. <laughs> you can tell Matt's not here. Everything's going swiftly to plan and everything. But uh, uh, I have with me as always uh, via the realms of Google Hangouts, Mr. Neville Bounds. Yes, hi there, Carlos. And uh, yes, you're looking very summery and you're very fetching top there, I say. <laughs> very, very good indeed. That's yeah, it's, it's warm, isn't it? I had a great day um, yesterday with the uh, airline pilot guys uh, just down the road from me, about an hour's drive away they were. So it was uh, Captain Jeff and Captain Nick yesterday. So that was uh, a very pleasing and they're off to, to react today to have oh. the, the, the grey stuff at the military show. So uh, we're going to send off uh, a bill, to, obviously, to APG for the use of uh, you, mm. Mr. Bounds. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the cost should be for them for the day? Oh, many thousands. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's all good and nice to see the guys. So, and of course, I haven't seen Jeff since uh, January, I guess. So, uh, yeah, but it's uh, great to see him again. Excellent. So we have got some uh, other awesome guest host joining us on the show today uh, so we're going to welcome on first he's uh, he's back again by uh, popular demand it's uh, the host of uh, another amazing podcast over in australia uh, playing crazy down under so welcome back grant mccarran hey everyone how are we doing um yeah by, back by uh, popular demand oh that would be my mum <laughs> writing in right something like that <laughs> i think it was a blank email from kit now i know you pull my leg (laughs) (laughs) so how are you how are you grant how are things yeah not bad not bad been pretty busy um a couple of weeks ago we just crossed over the line of the uh the the dreaded financial year change and i was able to you know sort of just do normal hours of work and then yeah now we're back to abnormal i've got a stack of new things i've got to look after at my day job and helping a friend get an aoc sorted out and other friends get uh, ops manuals up and running, plus also trying to do stuff for the ABF, the Ballooning Federation. So, uh, yeah, sleep. I've heard of this, but I figured, hey, I need a break, so let's have a chat. And on that note of ballooning, how's the ballooning going? Have you been up ballooning lately? No, no. We were supposed to go flying on Saturday, but uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, the night before I was looking at the forecast and everything was saying, you're going to have fog. So we decided not to bother getting up real early just to cry and cancel so one of the guys went off to a party um i hung out with this kit watching videos and drinking beers and uh we canned it sure enough the next morning according to all the stats as melbourne city was fine but out where we would have been flying was uh completely fog bound so oh that's life oh well not to worry you should be here in the uk we're having some awesome weather Excellent yeah, I believe weather. you've actually got above 28 <laughs> yeah, yeah we have in a few <laughs> in a few places yeah but also, uh, we have got another very special guest joining us on the show this week, and uh, he is the host of the uh, Wings Over New Zealand podcast. So welcome onto the show, Dave Homewood. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Dave, tell us a quick quick little snippet about uh, what exactly you do. 
Um, well, I've got uh, the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, which has been going since um, 2005, I think it was. And um, that's New Zealand's biggest uh, aviation website and aviation community online. And from that, in 2011, I, I uh, created a spin-off, which is the Wings Over New Zealand show. And um, the show is a podcast. Uh, I interview interesting people in aviation and uh, um, all sorts. Um, a lot of veterans of World War II right the way through to uh, airline people, uh, uh, warbird restorers and air show people and all sorts of things. So uh, every every episode's a little bit different from the last uh, with my show. And uh, I've just put out uh, episode 184, and that uh, that features a 100-year-old Spitfire pilot uh, giving wow. a talk at a an event that I recently ran uh, in Christchurch, uh, a Wings of New Zealand forum meet. So um, yeah, check out the Wings of New Zealand show if you. Uh, haven't heard of it. Excellent. We'll uh, we'll chat a bit more with you about that later as well. So uh, we're going to welcome everyone into the uh, YouTube chat room this morning. All uh, all the usual family members all in the chat room. Uh, a few mentions to uh, everyone. Don Don Sebastian's back in there this week. Uh, Liz Piper, Auntie Liz is in there. Falco, good morning to you. Richard King, Richard Adams, uh, Neil Lamborn's in there as well. He must be uh, up. Uh, seeing, seeing the guppy over at Brunty, I expect. Uh, we've got, uh, I'm scrolling up here, we have got Richard King. Have I missed anyone out? Hopefully not. And, I, can't, uh, I can't see the chat room, so if there's any messages of pertinence, please relay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Owen as well. Owen is in the chat room, so good morning to you, Hi, Owen. Owen. Hi, Owen. Everyone's favourite uh, everyone's favorite cabin crew person there. So uh, good morning to everyone who has joined us. And also Ray Davis as well has joined us in the chat room. So uh, hello to you, Ray. Uh, good evening, Ray. Good evening. Yeah, I e- just say good evening, yeah. So it is the 15th of July, and it's just coming up to half past 10 in the morning here in the UK. But we have got loads to get through this week, including... A great interview from uh, Branting Thorpe that me and Nev done uh, a few weeks back. So uh, if everyone's ready, we're going to do some aviation news. So uh, if you're ready, Nev. Yep, definitely. If you're ready, our guests. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. So, kicking off this there week's first news story, <laughs> what was that, Grant? Well, I thought he dropped it. It, it sounded like it had just cut out before the final blip. <laughs> <laughs> so, what with me here in, in charge of things? Not never a chance. Right, so first <laughs> news story is on the Seattle Times, and uh, the uh, the headline is uh, something, uh, well, something that's uh, been in the news a bit in the last few weeks, and it's, uh, it's not your imagination, airline toilets or restrooms are getting smaller i can definitely say they are after my uh, last experience with an airbus so uh, if the restrooms or toilets on your next flight seem a bit snug don't assume you've picked up a few pounds u.s airlines are increasingly putting smaller toilets on their aircraft and the economics of the decision means they're probably here to stay. As labour costs rise and fuel prices surge, airlines are taking advantage of travel demand to squeeze in as many passengers as possible. Uh, Knee-bashing reductions to legroom and elbow-crunching cuts to to uh, uh, seats to size are well-known tactics. The latest is to retrofit 
old aircraft and order new ones with svelte lavatories that allow for extra rows of seats. Airlines say the new restrooms are just a few inches smaller than what passengers are used to, but it's not like the bathrooms we, that we uh, bid uh, or big to begin with uh, in the first place. And the tighter fit is sparking complaints from pilots and flight attendants and gripping uh, from or griping from travellers. Consultant Samuel Engel has said that his four-year-old son, uh, that he took his four-year-old son to the restroom during a recent four-hour flight, and it was like a yoga exercise. <laughs> uh, he said that uh, we're both compact people, but I still had to basically straddle him to be able to fit into the lavatory together. Uh, said Angle, who leads the aviation group that uh, consulting firm ICF. Uh, the sink is so tiny that we did a sort of four-handed ballet to wash each other's hands in turn, splashing water all in the process. American Airlines is using smaller lavatories supplied by Airbus on their new A321neos and remodeled older A321s to squeeze in more seats. The airline is also putting in uh, diminutive restrooms made by Rockwell Collins on more than 300 Boeing 737 aircraft. United Continental has the Rockwell lavatories on about 10% of its 737 fleet, almost 35 planes, and will use them on at least 155 more 737 MAX jets. Delta Airlines has used the washrooms since 2014, and JetBlue Airways, uh, meanwhile, is outfitting some of its fleets with a small lavatory made by Safran's Zodiac Aerospace. And the story goes on, but it's safe to say that my latest experience on an A320, I must say, standing up straight was uh, a bit of an issue. And I'm not a massively tall person at five foot uh, nine, but uh, yeah, what do you think, guys? So, so yeah. with these um, uh, toilets, you really have to uh, decide what you want to what you want to do before you go in. Um, <laughs> do you back you, in or do you front in? <laughs> quite. So there's the op option of changing your mind halfway through is not offered to you. Really, is it? Well, having been, I've been on a number of seven three sevens where, uh, yeah, standing up, I'm six two, and standing up was tricky. Uh, and I used to think that uh, some of the older toilets were uh, interesting. Uh, a friend of mine from way back, a very well-known uh, aviation journalist who's unfortunately since passed away, Ben Sandilands here in Australia, uh, towards the end there he was making comments of, it's very difficult to do your business in these and maintain hygiene was the way he put it. Uh, I'm going to be blunter. I've been in a few aircraft, both Boeing and Airbus, that are using these slimline air, uh, toilets, and it's pretty hard to clean up. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, yeah, it's just getting bloody ridiculous. Uh, I, I, I think there's more to it. It's not just the bean counters who are trying to get that extra row in so there's another six people we can charge. I think it's also the Puritans who are trying to say, well, you're not going to get up to any shenanigans in our toilets anymore, are you? <laughs> not without a degree in gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I definitely think after travelling on on a Boeing and an Airbus. I've, I mean, I'm not just saying this because I'm a lover of the Boeing product, but I have to say that the the, the lavatories in the Airbus were definitely more um, comforting than the uh, the Boeing ones. I think. Uh, the A350, even in business class, if you get the ones in the middle of the cabin, uh, not up against the fuselage walls, they can be. They can feel just a little bit bigger than a 7.3, but not by much. But the ones that you get up against the, um, if they have the bathrooms that go up against the fuselage walls, they're actually quite roomy, um, both on the A380 and the A350. But uh, it all depends on the airline, the bean counters, and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, it's, it's like the 787. 
the Dash 8 is sold as an aircraft for 220 to 240, but everyone's putting 260 to 330 people on board. Got to be space somewhere. People come, you know, it's, it's, they're squeezing the toilets because it's non-rev space. Dave, I'm guessing well, in New Zealand, it's got to be better. Uh, well, I have to say that, you know, I can't even remember the last time I ever used a toilet on a plane. I just go before I leave, you know. Um, yeah, but dude, that's New Zealand where the longest flight's less than two hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, man. You, know, you can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the other thing I was thinking is, you know, do they really need to have a small room like that? I mean, whatever happened to the Olsen, which was just out in the aisle? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that'll be next. It's <laughs> the former military guy. Yeah, you've you've tried to use the bathroom in a C one thirty, right? It's a good. I've seen those lose. I've seen those lose on the on the one thirty. Very very good. I must admit. <laughs> yes. Well, the, but the uh, the Airbus uh, the, uh, the the Airbus A four hundred M. That's that's got like grey painted. Airbus civilian toilets. It's like you're in a civilian aircraft, but they're grey. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so moving on, Nev, to the next story, and uh, this one is uh, a, a BA one. Yeah, it's in the uh, Saturday magazine, part of the uh, the Guardian, and you've only got a uh, well, in fact, till the end of today to. Uh, book this should you want to and uh, BA is offering a fantastic deal for two travelling and uh, the BA promo for two is in business class with fares starting from as low as $2,391 per person that's about £1,800 and uh, the fares open to customers uh, flying from Lagos or Abuja uh, back to probably Gatwick I would imagine and uh, uh, the offers available uh, on from Friday through till today and uh, the BA commercial regional manager said uh, for West Africa said the bookings made for travel during these specific days will be eligible for outbound travel until the 31st of August. Uh, the Great Fairs will create an avenue for travellers who want a more robust experience this summer as they plan to travel. Early bird bookings are encouraged during the selected selling period. And in planning for the right destination and with the perfect partner to come along for the summer, BA is ensuring that they are the preferred partner airline to give that memorable summer experience without breaking the bank. And the BA promo for two summer fare offer is ideal for their, uh, the 2018 summer travel solution. And with this promo from BA, the airline is reinforcing their dedication to providing a first-rate experience to their valued customers who intend travelling during the summer holiday out of Nigeria. So, uh, well, they'll be the judge of that because the way that some of the services were going recently, I think it leaves a bit to be desired. But uh, hopefully uh, everybody's expectations are, are fully met. It still sounds like a lot of money, though, when you look at it, £1,800 for um, for a ticket. But I suppose if you're flying business class, I suppose that's acceptable. Well, yeah. I was looking at my, uh, if I had paid my business class fare to Las Vegas, um, that was four grand sterling. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's not a bad price, actually. So it's... Yeah, you're coming all the way from Africa to the UK. That's pretty dang good. My, uh, my business class flights from... Um, Melbourne to Singapore to Rome and back were, uh, yeah, not exactly uh, cattle feed. No. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was always told not to um, not to take up the offers, you know, of uh, cheap deals from Nigeria. So 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am Nigerian prince. I offer you special deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, isn't that uh, Lagos, uh, Nev, as one of uh, Captain Nick's favourite destinations? Yes, yeah. that's right. And uh, what did he say to me? That his, his favourite part was uh, was V1 at Lagos, I think is what he said. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, dear. So moving on to the next story then. And uh, this story is uh, one especially for you, Grant. I noticed in the uh, layup, and uh, yes, the uh, Australia's third biggest airline has accused Qantas and Virgin of plundering its pilots to deal with chronic shortages. Uh, yeah, uh, this is Rex Regional Express, and uh, they're quite a large um, regional airline. They uh, fly Saab 340s, and I have a friend who flies with them. In fact, uh, some of you may know him if you've listened to uh, Plane Crazy Down Under, mm -hmm. uh, know who I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, what's happened is that thanks to the pilot shortage, dun dun dun, Australia's third largest airline is accusing its major rivals of rapacious plundering, not just plundering, rapacious plundering. And uh, in an open letter to its regional customers today, Rex Chief Operating Officer Neville Howell says regional aviation is hardest hit as many local and international airlines actively poach pilots. I'm shocked. Uh, who could imagine that a, a main line would be poaching from a uh, subsidiary or from the regionals like that never happens? But what do they so, expect? I, I mean, know, honestly, I know. Like, like any pilot who's an airline pilot will want to move up to a bigger airline, would they? Yeah. Well, Rex does a uh, pilot program where you can go from zero to hero and actually wind up in the right-hand seat as a first officer with Rex, but you sell your soul to them for at least five years, possibly a bit more. So what winds up happening is they are getting the time out of those people and um, they, they know that they're going to go on, but unfortunately they can't churn them out fast enough and, and that's pretty much what's right. happening. Uh, the, the, the cadet program is successful for general attrition and it's working reasonably well until now. And now that Qantas and Virgin are running around just getting anyone they can, and I'm hearing stories of Qantas recruiters in the Virgin terminal going to, uh, you know, going and using the old boys network. Oh, hey, yeah, remember how we used to fly out over here? Yeah, why don't you come and work for us? And of course, Virgin are doing the same. Because a lot of the pilots that are flying uh, for Virgin and Qantas on domestic, a lot of them have been out in the boonies flying or doing uh, freight and all that, building their hours to get into the airlines. So everyone knows each other. So they're all out there targeting each other to recruit them across and getting bonuses if they recruit other people. It's great fun. So, yeah, Rex is uh, basically unable to keep up with the natural attrition that is no longer natural thanks to what's going on. Uh, they do say that Rex's cancellation rate is consistently lower than the rest of the Australian industry. Uh, it's only 1.29%, which is uh, less than around half the rate of Qantaslink and Virgin Australian Australia's regional arm. But uh, they're going to keep pushing uh, pilot recruitment, etc. So it's what's happening. It's what's going on. It's indications that things are hotting up in the pilot market. Um, again, this is why some airlines and and so on are trying to see if they can't get away with single pilot operations. God help us. Uh, you know, they've, uh, Aquinas has set up their own pilot academy once again. This is about the third or fourth time they've done it. A friend of mine who's now flying A380s, uh, he went through the, uh, they, they had a, a cadet scheme and he went through that and it was just in time for them to have a glut of pilots. So he did nothing for a few years, chased around, did other things, and then they uh, gave him a call and took him on. So, uh, yeah, everyone, Everyone's doing these um, cadet schemes to try and get the pilots in and make sure they're trained properly and bring them online. But uh, just skimming down to see if uh, 
No, that's rugby. Who cares about that? Um, hey. It's not even real. Well, it's not even real rugby. It's league, mate. It's league. Oh, so okay. Even, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, well, that's different then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so basically, uh, yeah, Rex is having fun maintaining uh, retaining uh, captains and and even first officers because uh, yeah, the big two are out there trying to uh, get everyone they can. So I'm guessing Rex then uh, Grant is a is like a regional kind of short hop airline. Yes, uh, Saab three forty turboprops. Uh, I think it's about. 25 passengers somewhere around there. I could be wrong, could be uh, more. But, about, um, about a 50-seater, I think. On the, that's 50, there you go. Yeah. 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 Oh, my bad. <laughs> a, certain, <laughs> a certain person that we know who, if they are currently listening, is going to be screaming into his headphones. Um, <laughs> but uh, they operate bases. Uh, they've got one in Sydney, Melbourne, um, and at Adelaide, and they run regional into the areas so um, from Sydney they get across to to Dubbo and Wagga and oh actually I think they do Wagga from um, from Melbourne I'm not sure but uh, yeah so they're they're the small inter inter airline regional kind of operation that then feeds into the um, bigger ones so where are they getting their pilots from are some of them being poached from smaller airlines that well, are funny you should mention that because they are getting ones through their cadet scheme which is fine but they're yes. also out there poaching from freight guys, from um, you know the guys out in the boonies doing um, charter or uh, tourist flights around Lake Eyre, uh, Wilpina Pound, up north uh, doing cattle mustering and things like that. They're poaching them out from there. So, you exactly. know, it's, it's not like Rex isn't sitting there going, oh, hey, we'll take you. And there's, there's, there's a dearth of instructors in some areas right now because Rex is grabbing all the instructors. And some of them are also going over to the, the bigger ones as well. So, you know. It's it's not like they're at the bottom of the fe the feeding chain and not doing this themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, Dave, the next story is uh, is all for you on the Drovers dot com website, especially for you this one, chosen. Okay, this is the uh, Air New Zealand leases EVA Air Boeing seven 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 dash three hundred ER. No, 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 God, that isn't, is that the one? Well, that was the next one on the list. Should be, is, am I, am I wrong, Nev? Is it the next one is the Drovers? Uh, no, 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 the, the next one's number four on the list, Dave. Oh, okay, what am I looking at? <laughs> oh, I see, yeah, 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 I've jumped ahead. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, no, that, this one. He's a, he's a, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. You're ahead, you're ahead yeah. in the time zone, you're ahead in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Um, airline serving fake meat burger infuriates New Zealand Prime Minister. Well, I'm going to stop you right there and say he's not the New Zealand Prime Minister, he's the acting Prime Minister. <laughs> um, they mentioned that in the body of the text. <laughs> that's good. And um, basically, this is a story where Air New Zealand has come up with some plant-based burger, uh, burger patty, and uh, have decided to serve it on their um, on their aeroplanes, and it's had a, a very mixed reception, mostly negative by the public. And one of them is Winston Peters, our currently serving acting prime minister. He's the deputy prime minister usually, but uh, our prime minister's had a sprog, and um, so she's <laughs> off, she's off work for a bit. Um, Translate to English. Uh, she's had a child. <laughs> yeah, we we, we yeah. say. It's <laughs> no, had a spawnling, uh, people would say. <laughs> yeah, so um, old Winnie um, has just come out in his usual way, where he's just decided that he'll 
make a bit of publicity for himself by saying he's, there's no way that he's ever going to eat these burgers. And um, yeah, he's just been his usual self. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not, even, it's not even really a news story. I mean, you don't have, well, to, have, to have, the have a look at who's posting it. Drovers. Driving I don't know. Who, I don't know who Drover is. Who's Who's Drover? I've no uh, it's, a, it's, it's international by the looks of it, and it's all about beef. And this is flights <laughs> from LA to Auckland, and I, I reckon Winston is probably. Ooh, wouldn't you say he's uh, got some sponsorship there from a few beef producers in New Zealand? Being a, you know, it's a lot of lamb, but there's also a lot of beef in New Zealand. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, actually, um, I, well, quite a few years ago, the government was promoting lamb burgers, and I, I believe that some of the airlines had lamb burgers on board, and. Um, you know, that is our main meat industry is lamb and then beef would be the second, I'd imagine. Yeah. There's some, um, there's some things, I say some things that, that big, don't taste quite lobby. the same when they're reheated and one of those things is, is burgers. I think, you know, if you're going to cook a burger, you cook a burger and eat it, not cook it and then kind of have it freeze, three or four. Snap, freeze yeah. it. Snap, <laughs> yeah. Oof. I mean, this is for the international flights too, I must say. We don't get food when you fly in, in the domestic. Like you just get a biscuit and a and a and a uh, and a cup of tea or coffee. So um, I'll never get to see one of these. I don't think. Well, the other bit is it's from flights from LA to New Zealand. It's not on every flight, and you got some guy from the New Zealand National Party, uh, literally Nathan Guy, and uh, his spokesperson for agriculture, biosecurity, and food safety shared his displeasure with the decision on tr on Twitter. And goes on about how New Zealand produces the most delicious steaks and lamb on the planet. I know a few Argentines who make it contest the steaks bit. Uh, GMO and hormone-free. National carriers should be pushing our premium products and helping sell New Zealand to the world. Mate, you're coming out of LA. It's, who knows what hippie crap you're getting out of there, man. It's like, you know, they're not going to take Kiwi steaks all the way across and then all the way back. That's, that's crazy. I'm also sceptical. I'm a sceptic of anybody who can take some plants and make it taste like steak. I mean, there's something going on there. Uh, there's a few things going on in that front. There's um, actually, I'm hearing that there's a few, um, so, not so much soy, this is soy-based, but there's a few other ones that are coming out uh, with vat-grown beef and things like that. They're, they're actually growing meat in vats and trialing that. And Yeah, look. You know, they, they definitely, they're definitely going to need bigger toilets. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> moving on to the next story, um, <laughs> this, this one is on the uh, mirror.co.uk website, which is a, a fantastic um, journalist uh, producing device thingy, what's the name in the, the UK, that we all read and love. And uh, the headline is, what to do if an airline cancels your flight at home or abroad this summer? So 10% of Ryanair flights were cancelled this week due to strike action. With summer holidays approaching... Uh, here's what to do if your airline lets you down. So the first one is your uh, your flight rights, what you need to know. So the uh, flights, uh, most of which are covered by EU law, and uh, your airline must let you choose between uh, two options. One is to receive a refund, so that's to get uh, the money back for all parts of your tickets that you haven't used. Uh, for instance, if you've booked a return flight and the outbound leg is cancelled, you can get the full cost of the return ticket back from your airline. The other one is choose an alternative flight. Uh, something's not always an option for uh, some people, but you can choose uh, to, if you still want to do your onward travel part of your flight, that you can go with a different uh, airline or a different flight. 
the other one is uh, care and assistance. If you choose an alternative flight, you are entitled to care and assistance, which usually means food and drink and access to communications. I think most people have mobile phones with them these days. Uh, this uh, could be by refunding you the reasonable cost of a phone call. Again, I think most people have free calls these days. Uh, and accommodation if necessary. Uh, the other one is, uh, are you covered by EU law? To be covered by EU law, you must uh, fly or must uh, your flight must be either a departing from an EU airport and operated by uh, any airline or arriving at an EU airport and travelling on an EU airline. Under this law, EU airports also include those in Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway and Switzerland. It says here, will you receive compensation? This depends on the actual cause of the cancellation. If the cause was out of the airline's control, such as adverse weather or air traffic control strikes, and there were no reasonable measures it could have taken to avoid the cancellation, you will not be entitled to compensation. However, if the cancellation was down to the airline, such as a faulty aircraft or crew strike, Ryanair, you will uh, generally be entitled to compensation. Now, personally, for me, I've never had to uh, to claim any money back um, due to uh, to not being able to fly. Nev, have you ever had to put a claim not in? Yet, no. I'm surprised about that. I have I have never had to do that actually. But um, yeah, but at least there's, there's methods of doing it, aren't there? So yeah. Yeah, because it is one of the biggest costs. I think uh, if you're booking a holiday, uh, is uh, one of the big costs is flights, unless you can get the prices down. Uh, really well. I'm guessing you, Grant, you've got the similar sort of system that where you can claim money back, laws and stuff in in Australia. Uh, to be honest, I have absolutely no idea on that because I've never really had to do it. Normally, uh, you know, when an aircraft goes US, we're looked after pretty well. Uh, got onto new air, air flights. I know Jetstar had some fun recently when um, they had a couple of flights that didn't make it back to Sydney in time for the curfew, so the next morning there weren't enough aircraft, and then there was bad weather, and it was just at the start of school holidays and all this kind of stuff, so there were a lot of complaints and people upset, but I don't think we have it in law here that you have to uh, you know, get certain um, anything back more than you get from the Montreal um, Convention. Hmm. Yeah. So moving on then to the next story, Mr. Bounds, and uh, this one is on the Business Financial Post site. Yes, yeah, but a lot of news about the C-series aircraft and the uh, purchase by Airbus, and uh, JetBlue, in fact, got a very good deal on their latest aircraft purchase uh, from Airbus, according to Moody's Investor Service. The carrier probably paid uh, 1.4 billion US dollars uh, to 1.7 billion US dollars for 60 Airbus. A220 300s uh, or between 23 and 28 million per plane. Moody's analyst Jonathan Root said in a report on Friday citing estimates by appraisers and price breaks that are typical for large orders. That's a discount of as much as 72% from the deal's list value, he said. As with most campaigns, we believe the decision comes down to the lowest all-in cost because the narrow-body aircraft manufactured by Airbus and Boeing have similar capabilities and operating costs for the majority of operators. Uh, the purchase, which was announced on July the 10th, was the first since Airbus took control of Bombardier's C-Series program and renamed the aircraft the A220. While significant discounts are typical for aircraft purchases, pricing details are closely guarded. 
JetBlue today uh, declined to comment on any terms of the deal and uh, Airbus doesn't comment on confidential discussions with customers, a company spokesman said. Last year, before Airbus took over the program, Boeing filed a trade complaint against Bombardier, uh, alleging that the Canadian plane maker had sold the aircraft to Delta at absurdly low prices. Whilst the uh, Commerce Department initially decided to impose duties of almost 300% on the plane, the U.S trade panel blocked the tariffs. For Airbus, quickly uh, building an order book for the A220 is a crucial challenge as the Toulouse uh, company seeks to lower cost. To make the aircraft viable, the plane maker says it needs a double digit reduction in costs in its supply chain and is in the process of negotiating with suppliers. Um, I'd love to have a go on this aircraft. It looks an absolutely brilliant piece of engineering. So uh, and It's getting great reviews. Everyone yeah. who's flown on it says it's, it's a passenger's air. Like like the um, Embraer E190, mm. uh, which is, you know, the windows are the right size at the right height, unlike a 737 when you're doing this to look out, yeah. uh, especially horizontally, yes. as opposed to down. Um, yeah, so everything that's coming back says it's a, a really lovely aircraft, from especially from a passenger perspective. Plus, it looks great. Yeah, it is absolutely. It does. It does look great. But it, is it weird just looking at and getting used to to. Um, Obviously, we're all used to uh, A320, A340, 380, 350. Now you've got 220. Is that, that just seems a bit weird. Well, the A300's been used, the A318, 319, 320, 321. That's the A320 family. Where could you go? The bigger mm. numbers imply bigger or more modern or things like that. Mm. So I, I don't know. The A220, it's rather cute. Um, I don't know why they didn't say 200, but I'm sure they had their reasons. Mm, yeah, perhaps we, we might see one of these um, at uh, Farnborough next weekend, Nev. I think we will. Guarantee. Well, the, 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 yeah. other, the other big question is, uh, it's not reported in here, is Boeing and Embraer are getting very, very lovey-dovey and into bed, as we might say. And uh, are they going to change the Embraer E-190s across to Boeing 7X7s or something? <laughs> I doubt it. But, you know, it's it's the same kind of thing is happening uh, there as well, so we're seeing a little bit of consolidation, perhaps uh, not ent- entirely unexpected. And I've got to say, Boeing making the big complaint about Bombardier selling the C series for a big discount when Boeing does that as well, you know, uh, that didn't half bite them in the ass, did it? You know, with uh, Canada saying, "Well, stuff you lot," and cancelling their order for uh, Super Hornets. Bye bye Boeing, and a whole lot of other things they're doing. So uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, it's all good competition. Bite them. Well. Boeing's never been the same since McDonald Douglas used Boeing's money to buy themselves into Boeing. That's all I can say. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so the next story, uh, Grant, is uh, one for you again, and uh, AustralianAviation.com.au, this one. Yeah, that's right, mate. The uh, registration VH Echo Alpha Mike is once again adorning the tail of a super constellation. Uh as many of you may have heard, the uh, Qantas Founders Museum out in Longreach in, uh, well, desert parts of uh, Queensland, uh, they've purchased a, an old hulk that was uh, rotting away in uh, Manila at the uh, airport there. And um, they've purchased it, parted it up, bought it over, put it back together, and it's just had its coat of paint done. And if you ever get if you get the chance to see this, either by looking at the show notes or if... Uh, if they're able to put it up on the screen at the moment instead of my silly mug. Uh, Qantas Founders Museum restoration of a Lockheed Super Constellation it purchased more than three years ago has reached a significant milestone with the external restoration of the aircraft fully complete. 
aircraft has been painted in what the museum described as Qantas Super Constellation livery, featuring the name Southern Spray on the nose, a red sheet line along the passenger windows, and the word Qantas on the fuselage. And, uh, yeah, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, it, of course, has the Aussie flag, the flying kangaroo, and the registration Echo Alpha Mike. Uh, yeah, so they've done the, um, the paint uh, livery details based on the original 50s drawings. And, uh, yeah, the museum curator and, and staff have put it back together. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I'm just flicking through here. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, the Constellations first started running between London and Sydney in 1947. And uh, first Qantas aircraft to feature uh, flight hostesses and the first pressurised aircraft operated by Qantas. They also did the Trans-Pacific, and uh, Super Connies in Qantas colours operated the first ever regular round-the-world air services via both hemispheres back in 1958. Um, they're now going to start working on the interior, but for those who like a little bit of history, the original Echo Alpha Mike, not this particular airframe, but the original one, first flew in 1956, uh, was accepted by Qantas at Burbank, where it was christened Southern Spray, and uh, this is the fun part, departed Burbank on a delivery flight actually took it two goes to get off and everything to be hunky-dory for the flight they used to joke that the super constellation was the best three engine aircraft out there and it's got four by the way um is it, you, you routinely used to blow one they're very very complicated engines uh so it uh, arrived in sydney after going burbank san francisco honolulu nandi to sydney took it 40 hours and six minutes of uh, elapsed time now, these days, we'll do, yeah, we'll do San Francisco to Melbourne or San Francisco to Sydney in, what, 16 hours at most? 12 to 16 hours? And I think it's 16. Uh, it feels like a long time when you're in economy, trust me. But, uh, yeah, so that was, I, I just thought that was really quite cute. 40 hours and six minutes to get from uh, Burbank to San Francisco and down to Sydney via Honolulu and Nandy. That's, that's, a, that's a long lot of flying. And it also is one of those aircraft on, it's definitely one of those ones that's on, on my bucket list, I think, for uh, for aircraft that I would love to to get the chance to fly on. I know I've seen one of these at Farnborough a few years back when uh, the Breitling one was yep. uh, was there on display and didn't get a chance to go on it. But um, Nev, one of your favourites? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, definitely on my bucket list as well. And it's a beautiful looking aircraft and the restoration they've, uh, job they've done is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it's not fully restored, but it's restored to static. And yeah, so you, oh, yeah, it is a restoration. Sorry, I think flying or um, taxiing. Um, but interestingly, uh, there's two flying constellations that I'm aware of. One is the Breitling one, and the other is the uh, Haas one, the Historic Aircraft Restoration Society at Wollongong, just south of Sydney. And those two aircraft are one number apart in their serial numbers. So basically, uh, I think the Haas Super Connie came off the line one one aircraft before the uh, the sisters basically, and, and I think it's the Haas one is one number older, or um, than the um, the Breitling one, but uh, the the two groups work quite closely together about uh, maintenance and flight operations. I've had the pleasure of uh, going on board that Haas one and recording uh, an interview with. Uh, the uh, the boss of Haas actually sitting in the cockpit um, when we did the Wings Over Australia tour for the Wings Over yep. New Zealand show. That was uh, yeah, that was Bob, really really Bob cool Del to Hunter. get on board that aircraft. Yeah, Bob Del Hunter. Yeah, and yeah. it was um, yeah, it was fantastic to actually get in, get inside and go up and sit in the cockpit. Yeah, 
quite a complex little uh, flight engineers panel on the right hand side, isn't it? The whole thing's quite uh, stunning when you think that the progression was from you know the the Electra through to the Super Electra, which became the Hudson, and then you you got the Lodestar and the Ventura, and then suddenly they built that massive airliner compared to what they had been building. So yeah, yeah. well if you, if if you take the like the Lockheed Ten, the Lockheed Twelve, the Hudson, the Ventura, and Neptune, they all share a similar like if, if you've ever done maintenance work on those aircraft, you'd know that the the landing gear bay. Uh, the main gear bay is, is very similar. It's like I was inside the Lockheed 10 and one of the guys said, come on, it took me around to the Hudson. It was basically the 10 just scaled up and then we went to the Neptune. It was the same thing. But then the Constellation came along and, oh, wow, everything's different. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the point I was trying to make is that it is a yeah, huge yeah. leap, huge leap. But yeah. it's all sort of around the same time, a you know, very short space of time. So, Dave, the next story is uh, one for you, another uh, New Zealand-based story, this one. Yes, this is one that I've already previewed earlier in the uh, in the news. Air New Zealand is understood to have leased an uh, Eva Air Boeing 777-300ER and um, to add to its fleet uh, in the light of the engine issues that they've been having with their uh, Boeing 7879 fleet and um, according to Travel Talk New Zealand, um, as we know, they've got some serious engine issues with them uh, failing and so they have to plug the shortfall somewhere so uh, Air New Zealand's already leased uh, former Singapore Airlines Boeing 777 and uh, uh, from Boeing and it um, looks like they've got this uh, second aircraft to uh, also you know, keep the airline going. So this must be costing a, a fortune to uh, the engine manufacturer, I'm sure of it. Um, Rolls-Royce. Yeah, it's got to be a, a, a huge um, blow to them and uh, and also to Air New Zealand as well because, you know, Air New Zealand um, prides itself in having very, very good maintenance, very good service. Um, it is a, it's one of the world's outstanding airlines. They've always winning, um, you know, awards, international awards and things like that. And... Uh, you know, to have their their major aircraft of the fleet to uh, have these problems, it's it's a real shame. But uh, yeah, so um, uh, according to this article, it says unlike the Singapore Airlines aircraft, which feature a dated interior, the Eva Air aircraft features a modern business and premium economy, offering that offering that some may find superior to the current in New Zealand hard products. So well, that's, that's a new airframe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um but uh yeah, that's um it's, it's yeah, well, New Zealand's been a, they've, they've been hit pretty hard by this. I mean the the Trent mm. one thousand package C engines, you've got fan blades. Uh, in fact in New Zealand was one of the airlines that really showed this was happening. Uh, and thanks to their maintenance and, and everything, and because they, they actually had a couple of flights turned back because of uh, blades going through the system and uh, vibrations and all this kind of stuff, it's it's not really good. Uh, it's the package C engine. Unfortunately, Rolls is starting to find that it's going to the package B as well. It's not just that one, that series. Um, but I've I've been seeing uh, when I've been in Sydney, I've seen a number of um, like plain white fuselage A330 and A340 aircraft operating into Sydney to re replace the 787 on the New Zealand Australia runs. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty full on. And uh, yeah, 
Air New Zealand won't be suffering alone, that's for sure. The, the uh, oh, roles will, will definitely be paying for this in so many ways. Yeah, we've got yeah, the same problem the in the UK. Have, um, uh, done a complete wet lease to um, a lot of their Middle Eastern routes through Qatar as well. So they're running uh, Qatar Airways A330 um, planes and crew uh, for most of the summer, uh, by the looks of it as well. That's a huge expense. Well, apparently the number of 787 gliders has reduced, and that's what they're calling them, 787 gliders, because they're sitting there without engines. Mm until the new ones come along because they were making new ones and they couldn't fly them because they had package C engines. So, yeah, that is being addressed, but uh, it's pretty full on. And, and this is why I, some time ago, um, probably well, sometime, a few weeks to a month ago, it was reported how um, roles were um, laying off people primarily from their future development crew because they have to have all hands on deck focusing on this and it's costing them so much to fix the problem. Uh, as you could probably imagine with leasing all these aircraft uh, or, or assisting with the payments for the other airlines that, um, yeah, they can't afford to run their future directions. So I don't know what this is going to do to Rolls-Royce aero engines going forward because they're letting go a lot of their future directions kind of people, the future guys, to focus on the now, to fix the problem in the now so that by the time they get around to getting back to the future, they're going to be so far behind everyone else who's continuing to plough through. So I'm not sure what this is going to do for them. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So the it's next story. Can I just with, oh yeah, carry on, Dave. I, I just want to interject with a, um, a, a just a, a slight tangent, but another bit of New, New Zealand news here. Um, I just had a message through from uh, Bevan Jews, who's watching uh, this right now. Hi, and, Bevan. Um, he, he sent me a message saying we need more warbird news, and so I just thought I'd mention <laughs> that. I, I just I just thought I'd mention that uh, Bevan is. Um, one of the world's most recent, uh, probably the most recent P40 pilot, and he's 24 years old, and uh, that's a pretty, pretty significant yeah. uh, thing to fly a P40 at, at 24. So, um, congratulations, wow. to Bevan. And, well done. Um, one thing that uh, wasn't mentioned earlier when uh, Grant was introduced, he was introduced as having uh, his show Plane Crazy Down Under, which of course is now no longer around, but he's also oh, my co-host on, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> he's also my co-host on uh, Wings Over New Zealand live show on Warbird Radio. And uh, next month we'll be having Bevan uh, on that uh, live show uh, to talk about uh, his experience with uh, getting in the P-40 and uh, various other things while he was over in Australia just recently. Oh, there you go. You hey, Bevan, see, see, Oshkosh flying. Uh, um, it's coming up soon, and this is as close as I'm getting to Oshkosh and all those fields <laughs> full of P-51s, P-40s, and everything else. Um, yeah, I miss that. That's so cool. That's one of those air shows <laughs> I, I want to I want to try and get to, really, but um, perhaps Mate, next it's year. it's not an air show. Perhaps it's next experience. year. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, anyway... <laughs> So the next story is is on the dside.com website. I'm going to win the lottery this weekend coming. Anyway, so the yeah, the dside.com website and uh, this is all about the beluga. We've covered the stories in the last few episodes, but the uh, Airbus reveals maiden flight date for the Beluga XL, uh, weather permitting, of course, which at the moment will be fine. Airbus has revealed the date when the new Beluga XL will fly and the supersized transporter, freshly painted with a huge smiling face, will take to the sky from its Toulouse base next Thursday on July the 19th. That's it. That's this coming Thursday. In an update on Twitter, the plane maker revealed the uh, 
D-Day and said that the flight will be broadcast live. And uh, they said on their Twitter feed that we well may be very excited uh, when oh. it's time for oh, our gentle know. giant, the Beluga XL, to fly the nest. Uh, join us on the 19th at 0830 GMT for a live periscope to witness this moment, weather permitting. The first of five next-generation oversized cargo airlifters, the Beluga XLs, uh, have been going through the final preparations for uh, its first flight this week uh, with rejected takeoff testing, uh, the situation in which it is decided to abort a takeoff of the aircraft. The plane's stunning livery includes a whale star. Uh, style nose cone, uh, sparkling blue eyes and a smiling mouth and was chose by Airbus employees. The six designs we propose for consideration by employees respected our brand identity while running from the conventional to the unconventional, even adding a touch of fun, explained Tim Orr, Airbus head of branding. So, um, uh, the uh, plane's stunning livery, uh, which obviously we've we've covered in a few episodes in the past, I think does uh, does do it proud. I think it is one of the more interesting looking aircraft. I think, but I think with the the whale beluga whale thing painted on there, what do you think uh, our our guests across the pond? What do you think of this uh, the beluga XL? I think it's awesome. I think it's cute. I reckon it looks really cool. I got up close and personal with the A300, the original Beluga. This one, of course, is based on an A330 airframe, but the original Belugas were made on an A300 airframe, yeah, where they chopped and dropped so that the the, uh, the cabins, like the cockpit's much closer to the ground. Uh, yeah, I was at um, Avalon and uh, up and around where everything was parked, and lo and behold, there was the Beluga uh, way up in the area where the public weren't allowed. And... Uh, yeah, I got up close and personal with it, and it's it's a, an incredible aircraft. They they used one day, I think they brought an Apache out, and also the uh, the or the no, it was the uh, MRH ninety that, that which we're using now. They uh, they brought that one out for a demo, and uh, yeah, it, even back then it was a heck of an aircraft. But to see one now with the the, uh, the smiling face and the eye, well, I'm not quite sure that it's blue. It doesn't quite look it in all the photos I've seen. But yeah, I think it's cute. It's great. Perhaps you'll be able to track this one on uh, Flight Radar 24, Nev. Yeah, well, let's do that. That'd be mm. a good idea. So, so, Nev, the next story on the Business Traveller site, a bit of a techie one for you. Yeah, there's lots of um, in-flight Wi-Fi being offered now uh, across various uh, air carriers, and uh, LL is one of the latest ones to have launched its new in-flight Wi-Fi service powered by Viasat. And the plans for the service were outlined at the unveiling of the carrier's new path initiative last year, and the inaugural flight was fitted with the technology uh, that took place between Tel Aviv and Paris this week. A total of 15 787s and 737 aircraft are now offering in-flight Wi-Fi, with LL expecting to connect the majority of its fleet by 2020. The carrier said that 128 devices were connected on the inaugural service, with more than half of passengers filming and streaming videos on services, including Facebook Live. They're offering three different packages. The basic one, enabling passengers to use instant messaging applications and access emails. Uh, the package is free on international flights between Europe and North America during an initial launch period until the fourth quarter of 2018. There's a social package which allows the streaming of short videos up to three minutes in length and costing $9.99 per flight with discounted rates 
for Matt Mid frequent flyers and fly card holders. And there's a business package which allows the streaming of movies and music as well as VPN access and costs $19.99 per flight. Again, with discounted rates for frequent flyers and fly card holders. Uh, Israeli passengers want to keep up to date and connected in real time, uh, says uh, Nimrod Borowitz, and uh, even when in the air. Uh, we invested in the most advanced in-flight Wi-Fi product from Viasat so that we could use the best uh, respond uh, we could best respond to our customers interests from surfing sites connecting to emails using apps and viewing social media networks listening to music and streaming movies and live sports during flights LL chose Viasat's in-flight Wi-Fi system because they had the most advanced product well I hope it is because all of my in-flight Wi-Fi experiences so far have been disappointing to say the least <laughs> and expensive yeah. Grant, no, you've, you're not, you've not had any fantastic in-flight Wi-Fi experiences. Uh, look, I, I, to be honest, I was too busy doing my own thing and watching movies and all that to really want to do much. Uh, we got a free... Um, oh, it wasn't a lot of megabytes, but we got it free because I was business class on Singapore. So every flight I had some free, but then beyond that I had to pay. Uh, I think one time I tried to go and have a look at the flights around me using Flight Radar 24... Another time I was double-checking a location, and I chewed through that real quick, so I uh, had to go and pay to get another block. But um, normally, I mean, if all you're doing is a bit of WhatsApp messaging and things like that, uh, the odd email, uh, which isn't full of attachments, then, uh, and I use Gmail anyhow, so most of it stays on the server. And yes, I know I'm being tracked, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the important stuff is not on the Gmail, trust me. But, uh, you know, 50 meg to 100 meg is quite enough to get you through a number of hours if you're not really trying to use that much. So that's why the basic isn't too bad to be free because, yeah, uh, a lot of airlines don't offer the free, but, you know, maybe as part of the opening deal, they're giving it a whirl and seeing what happens. 128 people doing streaming, that is pretty good compared to these days, you know, compared to how it was a little while ago, but it's still not a lot. If you've got a whole lot of people on board trying to stream, let's face it, 128, that's a half-loaded... Uh, well, a three-quarter loaded 737, isn't it? Well, what Not about a 380? Typical... If you've got an air, if you've got like a, this is say for instance, a Qantas 380, <laughs> with uh, how many was that? Four? No, 500 and uh, 450. 450, or so. yeah. People all, all streaming Netflix at once. Yeah, no, no, no. Give me that satellite. <laughs> I want that satellite. That's just for my plane. Thank you. Kids <laughs> <laughs> like. That. <laughs> so Grant, the next story is um, is especially for you. This one would normally kind of be a Matt story, but uh, we thought we'd, we'd um, give you this one this week. <laughs> Probably because of the line bleeding from the ears. <laughs> uh, yes, in, in honour of Matt, who is not here, I will endeavour to cover a Ryanair, his favourite airline. Uh, so Ryanair passengers bleeding from ears as flight makes emergency landing in Frankfurt. Oxygen masks were deployed on the... <clears throat> I'm all choked up. Oxygen masks were deployed on the Ryanair plane when the cabin became depressurised, forcing the pilots to make a sudden descent. More than 30 Ryanair passengers, some bleeding from their ears, were taken to hospital after a plane was forced into making an emergency landing in Germany. Oxygen masks were deployed when the cabin became depressurised, forcing the Dublin to Croatia flight into an emergency descent. Some travellers received medical attention following the diversion with their stash... Hey, wow, now I see where he gave it to me. With... Der Tagesspiegel reporting that 33 people required hospital treatment. 
Local police told the newspaper that some passengers were bleeding from their ears, while others complained of headaches, earaches, and nausea. Sounds like it was a pretty rapid decompression, doesn't it? If you mm, if you got that, because I mean they talk about how they dropped. Uh, yeah, the plane had to drive dive three thousand meters in less than one minute. Well, I think it was actually three thousand feet, because they talked about being at thirty seven thousand feet and going down to twelve or something like that, and not a lot of time. But I thought it was more three thousand feet a minute from another article that I'd read, which is, you know, that's not to be sneezed at and you're going to be dropping quite quickly and the pressure will be building up but if you've gone from high to suddenly low and then you're down yeah that that's not a good thing um the fun really starts though uh yeah the air went cold before the oxygen mask dropped from above adding that the plane had to dive 3000 yeah that's uh, one passenger so you know it's a really good story passenger tells us this so yeah let's go to the people who know all about aviation <laughs> stuff uh although he did he did then praise the pilots for doing an excellent job um, another passenger, oh, more of the informed, uh, Ruth Cosgrove tweeted, been on a lot of flights in my time but never experienced emergency landing with oxygen masks and the works on our flight to our holiday destination in Croatia. Ah, it's probably related to the soccer, isn't it? It was a football thing. Yeah. Um, you know, UK, Croatia, yeah, don't go there. Um, Ryanair played down the incident describing the hospital admissions as a precaution. The blood was a value-added extra, but we didn't charge them for it this time. Uh, company acknowledged that there was a shortage of accommodation for passengers who had to wait until Saturday morning for another flight. Uh, this flight from Dublin to Zadar diverted to Frankfurt Hahn due to an in-flight depressurization. In line with standard procedure, the crew deployed oxygen masks and initiated a controlled descent. The aircraft landed normally and customers disembarked where a small number received medical attention as a precaution. What's not mentioned in this article some people, that are because uh, it apparently overloaded the local hotels, I don't know, I thought Hahn was a pretty big place, lots of hotels, but apparently uh, overloaded and they weren't able to get everyone and some people had to sleep on the floor in the, um, in the terminal. Uh, and a few other people on another article were saying that uh, they were a little upset that Ryanair didn't seem to be anywhere to, around and it was all the, uh, the staff at Frankfurt Hahn Airport. Well, yeah, Ryanair doesn't have a base there, I'd say. So probably pretty hard to get Ryanair people there when you're not expecting an aircraft, aircraft to arrive and you suddenly drop in because of an emergency. So I don't know. I think I think some people get a little precious, but it sounds like they had uh, a pretty good reaction. Like they they, they coped with the uh, with the situation as best they could. Uh, trying to deal with that many people, maybe they could have done that better, but at least no one died. Mm. Owen's in the chat room actually, and he's just said that Ryanair only have a training base there at uh, Hull. Yeah. Well, there you go. At least, at least they do have a presence. But you know, when suddenly an aircraft full of people arrives, it's pretty hard to mobilise the forces, even if it's your main base. So, uh, yeah. So, Dave, you had ever had any fun with masks dropping from above? Uh, no, no, I've never, never encountered that. Um, no, uh, I mean, the closest I've come to it is when I was in the air force, just uh, training with oxygen stuff i mean that was part of my trade looking after oxygen masks and equipment but never had it on an airline well let's hope these passengers put them over their uh, faces properly <laughs> rather than just over their 
mouth sore. Place the mask ears. over your nose and mouth and tighten the straps accordingly. Nose and mouth, Grant. I thought it was just uh, your ears. You had to put them over. No, your chin, mate. You've got to oh, get the over chin. your chin. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, grab your passenger. Your mates want to put them over your ears. Oh, yeah. No, don't, no, no, don't put them on your ears. It makes them bleed. Oh, <laughs> no wonder. passenger's found. Oh, Dave. Anyway, Dave, the next story, the last story. And uh, okay. uh, this one is, uh, is uh, on the uh, abc11.com. Right, okay. Um, a traveller on a Southwest Airlines flight out of Hobby Airport. Well, that sounds like a nice airport, doesn't it? Hobby Airport. Uh, in Houston, Texas, said he watched helplessly as his bags were left out in the open being soaked by rain. Jared Gaines and airline... Sorry. Jared Gaines said airline staff members told him that they weren't liable for the ruined clothes and tools. I just feel like it's unfair... If your bags are left in the left out in the rain, this guy's not been to New Zealand, has he? <laughs> 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 that, that you're responsible for it, he said. I saw a guy pull the cover back off my bags, and I saw my bag getting rained on. I went on. It went on and on and on. <laughs> Gain said the worker removed the tarp from his bags, letting them get soaked in the rain, and he watched helplessly inside the. The delayed plane. The flight finally left, and when he made it to his destination, he hoped his bags were able to keep the water out. And then it's, he's quoted, I got back to the hotel. There was water in my bags. One of my bags is a tool bag, and it had an actual puddle in it. Man, okay. no waterproofing there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Gaines told the airline, told the airline about the problems, including ruined clothes and tools. They said that they were not responsible for my bags getting wet, he said. Southwest Airlines sent him an email saying that they are not liable. Um, yeah. You kind of would think that the airline would be responsible for your bags once you've handed them over and, you know, to go on their plane. But what do you guys think? Well, um, Nev, you covered a story, or you covered a little inkling story last week, I think, on the show with uh, one of our listeners, Jonathan Warner, who'd, who'd sent in some pictures of his um, his nice suitcase. Yeah, and the thing is, it's a bit of a fail, isn't it, on the airline's part? It could have been yeah. such an easy win for them just to deal deal with it. But no, it, you know, it's now gone into the press and, and what have you. And I think um, airlines have got to take the view that you know what what's more damaging you know paying a few quid uh, for somebody's uh, compensation for tools or clothes or bag um or get all this kind of publicity so i i, I just i just think that some sensible uh, decisions have to be made about this this sort of thing because it uh, with social media and all the rest of it it goes out of control very quickly doesn't it well they're, they're already in sorry go ahead dave um it, it doesn't say what sort of tools he had and i mean if it was electronic tools uh, you can kind of understand why I'd be really upset, but if it's just hammers and saws and stuff, well, just you know, give them a wipe. <laughs> <laughs> wipe them down with the ruined clothes. Oh, that's how he ruined the clothes. He used his clothes yeah. to wipe down the tools. Yeah, well, you can put them through the wash. It's not really, it's not really the end of the world, is it? I mean, it's water. No, oh, well, it depends because uh, you know, paper certainly trashes. But yeah, if it was electrical, he's in trouble. But he, what, you know, he, pools he of water. Inside his, inside his bag. That's intense. He might have had an origami kit in the case, you know, in which case 
<laughs> it would have been ruined. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm focusing. I'm, I'm focusing. I'm not talking about other tools um, that could potentially get ruined by water, but uh, you know, various probes and testing devices and things like that, and computers. Um, but yeah, the look. Uh, Southwest is already trying to get over some bad press from. Um, you know, when they had that engine uh, cow let go during an engine failure and uh, some uh, poor lady died because of the puncturing of the fuselage, took out the window next to her. But, uh, you know, so they're already trying to get over that and a whole lot of bad press. And now they've got this. Uh, starting to wonder if they've hired someone from United based on all the stories <laughs> I've heard there. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't really see a correlation between the two, to be honest. I mean, uh, a wet bag United somebody dying. Bad. No, no, oh, no, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the two airlines. I'm talking about the two situations with Southwest. I mean, oh, no, someone's bag just... gets wet in the rain. I mean, no, but that's just it. they're already they're already trying to dig their way out of a bad press situation where you know they they got bad press for that scenario and they're trying to rebuild their reputation. Now this comes along, nothing, at, not at the same level at all. But it's still, you know, you've, as, as Neville was saying, you'd think they'd be going, oh, look, keep it out of the press, keep it out of the press, paying the money, pay them the money. Hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we're going to bring the commercial news segment of the show to a close. Uh, so we're going to hand things over to Nev now to introduce what's coming up next. Yeah, we had a great time over at uh, Bruntingthorpe Aerodrome uh, quite a few weeks ago now, wasn't it, Carlos? And, it was, uh, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, uh, the weather was good as well, which was fantastic. Um, so we did a number of interviews over there. And uh, up next, it's the interview that Carlos and I did uh, with uh, pilot uh, Chris Hayward uh, on the uh, VC-10, which is the ex-RAF uh, transport aircraft. And uh, it makes for some really interesting listening. And uh, Chris tells us all about how the aircraft was operated. So let's, uh, let's have a watch and a listen. Okay, so we are very privileged indeed to be on the flight deck of a VC-10. And we've got Chris here with us. And uh, Chris, tell us a bit about the aircraft we're on. Oh, this aircraft used to be, uh, it was originally built for BOAC in uh, 1968. Um, it served with BOAC until they became BA in 1975 and then um, was retired in 1980. Um, after that it went into store at Abingdon for about 10 years and then was uh, taken to British Aerospace down at Filton, flown down on a, a one-way ferry and was uh, sold to the RF and converted into the, the, the tanker you see today and served with the RF as ZD241 with 101 Squadron. So uh, you obviously you serve with the Royal Air Force, what, uh, what's your role? Um, I'm currently on the Sentry. That's my uh, on the Sentry. Yes. Okay. Which is uh, again, it, it's an interesting thing because it's it's a 707-based airframe, which um, which shows because design-wise and concept-wise, it's about 10 years behind this airframe. So actually, this airframe is quite modern in in flying terms. So did you do the taxi run today in this aircraft for the show? Or? I did. Yeah, yeah, I sat in this seat today. Um, today was a bit momentous for us. It's the first time we've taken people down the back who've actually paid for the privilege to be on board. And, and, and donated to our, to our fledgling charity to, to support the aircraft. Um, we had 40 people down the back who um, who all donated £50 with the privilege of, of being there. And actually, that's going to help cover our costs into the future because, unlike the smaller jets, um, ZD241 as a VC10, it, it takes a lot of resources to actually to run the aircraft. Um, as an example, our insurance bill is, is somewhere around £3,000 a year, and, and each run we do, we're burning probably somewhere in the region of £1,000 worth of fuel. Wow. Wow. So, um, so it's not cheap to run, but to sustain this aeroplane, because really, as, as a VC10, it's it, it, with Bruntingthorpe as the home it's got, it has got a sustainable future, um, and our aim is to keep it going for as long as possible. 
That's great. So, have you ever had a chance to fly in the past on the aircraft itself, a VC-10? As a, as I did. A I had, um, I had a, a tour on the VC-10. Um, I was on 101 Squadron from about 2007 to, to 2011. Um, so, deploying all over the world into the Middle East, the Falklands, and, and, and 10, uh, sorry, ZD-241. Um, it was generally the Falklands jet, so you'd spend a lot of time in the Falklands uh, flying down there. So, good fun flying in a, in a nice, quiet environment, unlike, unlike here. Um, without much other air traffic around um, being a, a nice little place so lots of fond memories flying this particular VC-10. So the Conways that power the aircraft the VC-10 I mean from the from the flight line when this is doing mm. a taxi run they are incredibly noisy but obviously being rear mounted engines mm. sitting up here on the flight deck is it quiet it, it is and actually when the aircraft is at idle power you can you can quite happily have a conversation with anybody on the flight deck, just like we're having now without worrying about being on headset or anything like that it's only really when you put the power on and you you kind of go about three or four seconds after you put power on you really get that roar coming through that guttural roar coming from the back of the aircraft which then kind of pierces through the whole aircraft but compared to your modern aircraft your CFMs and, and stuff that you get on your, your 737s or the aircraft fly now the century um, which is kind of more of a buzzing noise in the background this is um yeah it's it really was silent and swift as, as i say so we've done some filming just before we come up to the flight deck here of the cabin area mm. and one of the things that i think the listeners and the viewers will, will see is that the seats face the opposite direction to what you, you most people were used to on, on mm. a passenger jet is there any reason for that um it's safety really and it, it was borne out in the rf in the post-war a lot of the aircraft types the transport aircraft types and transport command had the air, the seats facing facing forwards and if you kind of think of it in a, an acceleration point of view actually acceleration which there's not a lot of um you, it's not the most comfortable way to be facing but in a stopping point of view and in an in, in, in instant where you have the aircraft stopping quickly be it because of heavy braking or be it because you've hit something in a, in a, in a crash um it's just that a little bit safer and you don't get that kind of whiplash effect because you are going forward into the seat so that's one of the reasons and and just really to kind of show people what it's like that's why we've installed the seats that way around on this airplane uh, and in service, this, era, this particular VC-10 probably would never have had more than about 20 seats on board, but we've kind of fitted a few more to make it a bit more representative of some of the other types, like the, the C-1s that we had, um, which would have had a full seat fit, just, just to give people a flavour of what the VC-10 was like in RAF service. I'm going to ask a question, Chris, purely for my benefit, this is, mm. and the viewers and the listeners will know exactly why I'm asking this question. Did you ever get a chance to fly those awesome three-holers that are back there on the site? Thankfully, I didn't, um, although I did get a bit of banter from someone yesterday about how good they looked, but unfortunately, <laughs> I, I only fly airplanes. I had criteria of airplanes having four engines, a navigator, and a flight engineer, so I kind of was stuck with, the, with, those, with those particular types. Excellent. Uh, Chris, we, we always ask a question uh, before we wrap up an interview uh, to, to the pilots and uh, anyone we have on the show. That's a question, kind of put you on the spot question. Hmm. And uh, we always ask, if, you're given the ch if you were given the chance to fly any aircraft, either being retired or still yep. currently flying in service, commercial, military, GA, what would you love to have a, have a go in? Um, for anybody that knows me, it's quite an easy question. It would have to be the, the Avro Lancaster. Um, if I was going for any other type... Um, I grew up uh, going to the shuffle collection a lot and I was in love with the Gloucester Gladiator. And uh, do you know what? For pure fun, I'd probably like to fly just about any British built airliner with four engines from 1945 onwards. Brilliant, there you go. Well, Chris, thanks very much for your time oh, here on the VC10 today. It's been great to meet you. And uh, thanks for taking time out to speak to us on no, the thank show. Thank you for coming to see us. Thank you. Thank you. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com.
The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 23R Manchester with Air 6X Climb Flight Level 210 Direct to Bretman's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. London, two, TME, turn right onto Bravo, link, two, one, join, alpha, hold at Mora, speedbird, four, seven, two, LOC, slash, DME, approach runway, two, seven, left. Follow the green stand, five, four, four. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. So uh, we've got some military news to uh, to see or to go through. Uh, so if everyone is uh, <laughs> if everyone is ready, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey Air Force version, yeah, let's go. things always break when Matt's not here. Anyway. <laughs> Job security for Matt. <laughs> I know. So the first news story is on the uh, Royal Air Force's website, raf.mod.uk. And uh, it's uh, good news. It's uh, Royal Air Force receives 20th Atlas Transport Aircraft. So the Royal Air Force has taken delivery of the 20th next generation Atlas Transport Aircraft as the program continues to meet the key development milestones. Secretary of State for Defence Gavin Williamson announced the arrival on, um, well on Friday or Thursday, sorry, a gala dinner at the Royal International Air Tattoo which is happening over at RF Fairford uh, this weekend. The aircraft was handed over uh, to the uh, Royal Air Force Base at Bryce Norton, home of the UK's Air Mobile 
Mobility Force. This coincided with uh, crucial trials to test uh, the Atlas's ability to deliver cargo by parachute and undergo air-to-air -air refueling using a Royal Air Force Voyager aircraft. Atlas, which uh, contributed to hurricane relief in the Caribbean last summer as part of Operation Ruman, is currently deployed operations in the Middle East and replaced uh, the C-130 Hercules in South Atlantic this spring. The newly uh, delivered aircraft has formally entered service with the Royal Air Force ready to begin crew training ahead of operational deployment. The International Atlas program uh, being delivered by Airbus is supporting around 8,000 jobs in the UK. In total, the UK has ordered 22 of the Atlas aircraft, which are expected to be delivered to the Royal Air Force by the early 2020s. The cargo delivery trial carried out by a UK aircraft crewed by Air Welfare Centre and Qnetic uh, personnel involved containers weighing around one tonne in weight being dropped in sequence over Salisbury Plain. For the air-to-air -air refuelling trial, which took place near Seville in Spain, an Airbus-owned Atlas jo operated by joint crew, including Airbus and UK personnel, received fuel from a Royal Air Force Voyager tanker aircraft over a wide range of altitudes and air speeds. The results from both trials are now being analysed with a view to delivering uh, operational clearances. Uh, now, I've, I've obviously I've had the uh, the chance to go on board this aircraft, not flying, but uh, static, and, and have a good look round, which is awesome. Uh, Grant, I'm guessing have, have you seen or been on one of these aircraft yet? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, a French A400M back when it used to be called the Grizzly before it became the Atlas. Mm. Uh, back in the early days, uh, that came through. Uh, actually, no, it must have been the Atlas by then because the Grizzlies were just the prototypes of the test, but it was very early on in the phase. It was when to drop parachutists, uh, paratroopers and all that, they actually had to drop the landing gear because of problems. Uh, if they opened the side doors and pushed everyone out, uh, they had all sorts of turbulence issues, so they'd slow down and they'd actually drop the landing gear, which is just what you want over a hot LZ, by the way. But uh, they fixed up all those problems. It's, uh, it's a lot better now. Everything has teething problems, as we know. But, uh, yeah, it got to crawl around one and uh, sat on the flight deck for ages being run through all the systems by the uh, the guy I was going to interview. Uh, he was in the left seat, I was on the right, we are going to do an interview and uh, right at that time the Royal uh, Republic of Singapore Air Force, the F-16 air display team, a duo, decided to uh, take off and do their flight so we thought oh, we'll just wait and the whole time we just sat there running through all the systems and he showed me how everything works on it, uh, the proviso that I wasn't recording and it was fantastic. Very interesting, very Airbus, and, and very cool. Yeah, Armando's in the chat room, and he says that he loves the Atlas, and that's coming from a 130 yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, a couple of the 130J guys over here, you know, because it's okay to be J, uh, but they say that um, the way the Atlas gets a similar kind of, uh, of cargo load to the 130 is they actually put the last pallet on the ramp. But it's i think one of the main reasons the c-130 guys love the atlas over the c-130 is like i said before it's got real toilets it's got two of them <laughs> and they're like an airliner toilet they really are so uh compared to what you get on the c-130 it's it's really good uh plus pretty good to fly so well, much bigger inside too aren't they They are much bigger inside yeah uh well, well they're we, large we had one we had one uh come out here uh last year for the uh uh, the uh, Air Force's um, 80th birthday, and um, it was on static. It was a Royal, Royal Air Force one, and it was on static display, so you could walk through it. And I was very impressed how how big it is. It's uh, 
certainly a lot more capable than our current Hercules fleet. So, yeah, you know, you've got the su you've got the Super H's, which are pretty much an E with a whole lot of upgrades. Um, yeah. the, the the Kiwi Hercs, they, I mean, they date back to when my dad was picking up the um, the the Orions. They came through just before then. So uh, yeah, in 1965, we got the first three, and the the uh, other two in 1968. And they're probably the oldest ones flying now. Um, oh, in the Western world, case. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> There's old C-130s flying around the planet, but uh, in, the, in the Western kind of you know, first world kind of air forces, I think they are pretty old. Well, one owner, oldest. too. The, the same <laughs> owner, you know. They were Little old lady. And, yeah. Upgraded a lot. <laughs> Used to fly it <laughs> on the way to church. <laughs> so, Nev, the next story is uh, is one for you. And well, this is a, uh, an ongoing coming, one. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, the KC-46 seems to be making some headway. And uh, this is on the Kansas.com website. And uh, flight testing allowing McConnell Air Force Base to receive its first KC-46 air refueling tanker has been finished, the Air Force said on Friday. Uh, with this milestone complete, the test program has demonstrated a level of maturity that positions Boeing to deliver and the Air Force to accept an aircraft by the end of October 2018, says Will Roper, who's the Air Force Service Acquisition Executive in a news release. Uh, McConnell in southeast Wichita will be the first base to receive the tanker that uses the Boeing 767 passenger airplane as its airframe. The flight testing for first delivery was completed on July the 6th at Boeing Field in Seattle, uh, the Air Force said. Uh, the final bits of testing, including the tanker's remote vision system that allows the air refueling operator to see the plane he or she is refueling and certifying the tanker, can refuel the F-16 and C-17 in flight. Testing was also wrapped up uh, wrapped up on refueling the KC-46 with an older KC-135 tanker. Colonel Josh Olson, commander of McConnell's 22nd Air Refueling Wing, said in a statement to the Eagle that the completion of the flight testing is a critical step to bringing the KC-46 Pegasus home to McConnell and the Wichita community. Friday's announcement comes three weeks after Boeing announced its intent to deliver the first tanker in October. I can't wait to see the first of the KC-46s on the tarmac at McConnell Air Force Base, said Senator Pat Roberts in a statement to the Eagle. Uh, the 22nd Air Refueling Wing has been training and anticipating this delivery from some time. We are ready. The long-awaited tanker replaces the KC-135 air refueling tankers that dominate McConnell's two air refueling wings, the 22nd and the 931st air refueling wings. The McConnell, uh, McConnell was designated as the first base to receive the tankers, and the base has about 3,000 airmen and employs 500 civilians. Uh, Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma and Peace Air uh, National Guard Base in New Hampshire will also receive tankers in the first round of delivery. And eventually McConnell will have 36 KC-46s replacing its fleet of KC-135s that were manufactured between 1957 and 1963. So finally, uh, they're, they're getting some of the new hardware, but it's, it's been a long and painful journey, isn't it? <laughs> It was way back that uh, every well, the cost. I think it was Harry Stonecipher was in charge of Boeing at the time and had to resign because of uh, the scandals that were going on and some bribes and some underhanding deals that went on way back. And then, uh, yeah, they they had to put it all out and take two. And then it went out and it won, got one by Airbus with the 
uh, KC through, well, we call it the KC30. Uh, so we fly it uh, yourselves in the UK. You call it the uh, sorry the uh, Voyager. So you're flying it, and uh, yeah, that got um, that caused a big stink about Americans buying European tankers. So the whole thing got shelved and redone again, and the KC uh, 46 won. Isn't it? Yeah, KC forty six. It's you get you get the KC seven six seven is not as advanced as the KC forty six that's being flown by Japan and a couple other spots, I believe. Uh, but yeah, they've they've had a lot of fun. Once they finalised and said yes, the KC forty six A, the Pegasus, which is a seven six seven, I believe a four hundred model. Uh, they've had all sorts of issues with wiring. They've had issues with the flying boom, which is a big shock. So I remember Boeing um, stirring Airbus when one fell off the uh, KC thirty. Uh, during trials, and then Boeing turned around and had all sorts of issues with theirs. So clearly not, not not that easy, even when you've been flying it for decades on the back of KC-97s and KC-135s. But uh, great to finally see that it look, could actually finally come into into operational use. Huzzah! Huzzah! Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Grant, a RAAF story for you next. Yeah, speaking of Fifty Shades of Grey aviation version, um, Airbus tankers mate automatically in flight. Who picked these ones? I tell you. Um, have you noticed the theme? The, the last three stories have all been about tankers. They've all been about aircraft getting up close and personal during flights. <laughs> but uh, Airbus Defence and Space has demonstrated automatic air-to-air refueling of a large aircraft. The company's own A310 development tanker made seven contacts with an approaching A330 multi-role tanker transport, uh, also known as the KC-30A, because it's actually owned by the RAF, the Royal Australian Air Force. Airbus previously de- demonstrated automatic refueling of a fighter aircraft. The three, A330 MRTT is designated KC-30A in service by the RAF. Sorry, I jumped ahead, obviously. Uh, Airbus says that the system requires no additional equipment on the receiver and is intended to reduce refueling boom operator workload, improve safety, and optimize the rate of air-to-air refueling. During the initial approach of the receiver aircraft, the tanker's air refueling operator performs boom control as usual. Innovative passive techniques such, such as image processing are then used to determine the position of the receiver's refueling receptacle. And when the automated system is activated, a fully automated flight control system flies and maintains the boom aligned with the receiver's receptacle. The telescopic beam inside the boom can be controlled in a range of ways, including manually by the air refueling operator, a relative distance keeping mode, or full auto mode to perform the contact. So uh, this took place back in June 20 on a flight off the Spanish coast and was conducted in conjunction with test pilots and flight test engineers from the RAAF's Aircraft Research and Development Unit, also known as ARDU, A-R-D-U. So yeah, a total of 57 A330 MRTTs have been ordered by 11 nations, including Australia, Belgium, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, South Korea, the United Arab Emirates, and the United Kingdom. And I can tell you that uh, during um, some of the Middle Eastern operations, a uh, rather high-ranking U.S. Air Force general, I believe, was heard to say, why haven't we got these aircraft now? This was probably about back in 2013, 2014 area, because the KC-30 was doing such a great job of refueling so many aircraft and, and all that, that, uh, yeah, they they wanted that aircraft then. So hopefully the, the... KC-46 will deliver to them what the uh, MRTT, or as we call it, the KC-30A, is able to do for Australia. But kind of cool that they're doing it automated, don't you think? The software looks really good, which they're using, uh, which I did put a little picture up on the screen at the time. It's got overlays 
and I think it all go. I think if you see all greens, you're in the right place. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, yeah, look, the, the it was interesting. Uh, to, uh, been, I've been on these aircraft a couple of times. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to fly on them. Steve, my former co-host, he's been fortunate to fly on one. Uh, but we were uh, we were on board and uh, discussing things with the flight crew. And it's pretty much a standard uh, A330 flight deck up front, looking forwards. Behind you, you've got the boomer, the uh, well, as they call him, the ARO, the air refueling officer. He's got a sort of 3D stereo tank vision. He puts the glasses on, looks into it, and uh, sees a 3D image and is able to, so it's like he's in the back looking down, he's, but he's actually up front facing backwards. So it gives him the depth that he needs to be able to mate up the equipment and connect. But uh, otherwise, for the pilots, it's pretty much just like an A330. There's a couple of, of course, military radio and other equipments like that. But pretty, uh, the big thing is you go into uh, Airbus, of course, have flight laws in the computers. And you push a button to say, hey, we're doing air-to-air refueling, and it changes its behavior. So it can handle, especially when a larger aircraft's coming up behind, you get a big bow wave of air off the other aircraft, and it'll push the tail of the tanker up, and it's designed to accommodate all that. So pretty pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Messages coming through. You've got mail. So, Dave, moving swiftly on to the last story in the military segment, uh, trying to wrap up quickly. We're ra- rapidly running out of time here. So, Dave, the next yeah, well, story... This is a really long story, uh, the uh, article, so I can just paraphrase it. Um, Skim a little, brother. It's a really great story that uh, has finally happened, that uh, the New Zealand government has signed off to, to purchase uh, P-8 Poseidons to replace our very aged uh, P-3 Orions. And uh, as... Uh, Grant said earlier his father went over in 1960, probably went in 65, did he? Or 65, 66. 66. Yep. Yeah, to, uh, to the States to pick up the, the one of the Orions. And uh, uh, they're still in service, those aircraft, and they are getting very, very tired these days. Uh, Grant and I were actually at the, um, at the 50th anniversary of their service uh, reunion that they had at, in Auckland at Whanaupai, and uh, that was in 2016. And we were told then that you know, things were getting quite desperate then and they needed a replacement then. And uh, these will come online uh, around, well, all five, all four of them will be in service by 2023, they reckon. Uh, so I think the Orions are going to be around for a little longer yet. And uh, we have six Orions in service, um, but I think they usually only have about three of them on the line. Um, and we're replacing them with four uh, Poseidons. They're costing $2.3 billion uh, New Zealand money, which is a huge purchase for New Zealand. It's a massive purchase, but they've really, successive governments have mucked around and mucked around so long, extending their Orions twice with uh, uh, life extending programs that the second one really shouldn't have been done. It should have been, they should have replaced the aircraft then, but that was the government at the time. Um, and uh, these ones are, you know, these these Poseidons, they're going to be um, so much better for the for the crews. I, I feel uh, the what the, the squadron number five squadron, they cover a massive area of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're always out uh, patrolling uh, our fisheries. Uh, they do a lot of search and rescue. They go all the way down to Antarctica and uh, all the way up into the tropical Pacific, uh, covering basically 
our, our massive area of um, uh, neighbors and and uh, you know there's a lot of uh, illegal fishing goes on and 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 a lot of all sorts of things goes on in the Pacific so um, they're very important aircraft and this is going to be great yeah it's one of those aircraft that I saw last year at Ria actually and uh, it was good to see them there up close but they wouldn't let us on board funnily enough i can't, I can't think why but uh, they, yeah they're a bit bit reluctant bit reluctant to let us on board the aircraft the photos i've seen on board um it looks a lot like the interior of the a7 wedge tail sorry e7a wedge tail that australia operates i've been on one of those when it was static I, i've never been on one flying unfortunately but uh yeah a lot better having been on a p3k and also a, a uh, an aussie p3 ap3c uh the, the comfort level is through the roof compared to the tack rail on an old Orion. Because <laughs> the, the P3Ks are pretty much a P3B uh, that's been upgraded quite a bit. So, uh, you know, uh, I believe, Dave, they did the wings, didn't they? They replaced the wings? Yeah, that was the first um, major project, Project Rigel, yeah. they replaced the wings. And uh, with the, the second um, major overhaul, all of the electronic equipment was done and the airframe was done and basically basically the, the, you know they overhauled them but they were really only extend them for 10 years and the extension program ran long um yeah it's yeah they, they need yep. to be replaced but the, so, the, 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 the digital signal processor on the p3k2 is now almost on par i think it's pretty much the same as what's on the Poseidon, which is oh yeah amazing. exactly yeah, they're like their kit is really good on the yeah. on the P three K two. In fact, I, I don't know why they couldn't just take it out and stick it in the new planes. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, if you if you ever get up close and personal with the, either the P eight A Poseidon or the E seven A Wedgetail, have a look at the engines. You can sort of see it. They've got a photo here in the news article of an artist rendition of a P eight A with the Kiwi five squadron emblems on it and all that. Uh, you can just see near where the uh, red markings are for the caution jet inlet. You can see a blister a bulge on both yeah. of them. They're actually on both sides of the engine cowlings. Uh, what happens is the uh, these aircraft, because they've got so much electricals on them, they've put the uh, generators from a triple seven engine, which is the triple seven engine is about the size of a, of a seven three seven fuselage. It's massive, and they've taken the uh, the engine the generators off them, and they've got them on both sides, and they're so big they have to put fairings and blisters on the cowling so that's that's how you can uh you know, if all you ever see is a is a is a cowling photo and it's in black and white you can tell that it's an e7 or a p8 because of those bubbles <laughs> and it's just they, they pump out so much electrical in, um, power for all the systems on board they have to the other uh, really important thing about this is that uh, all of our closest allies use them as well uh the usa <laughs> Uh, Australia, Britain, um, yeah, everybody's going to be equipped with them. So, yeah, we've just we've just invested here in Australia um, at Edinburgh. They're putting in a massive uh, P eight training environment. So yeah. the Kiwis will really be. They're already hearing that. Yes, indeed, the Kiwis have already been over checking it out and will be uh, doing a lot of their training there because it's designed that the Aussies can take people who have never heard anything about a P eight, teach them to maintain it, teach them to fly it, teach them to operate it all in our own backyard. So it's a no-brainer. Uh, I know the new the new Kiwi government came in, and unfortunately this deal couldn't be signed before the change of government. 
and then the new guys came in and oh we're going to put this on hold to make it and yeah sure enough yeah. oh look it's the yeah. best decision we can make yeah it was on hold for eight months and then he came out with the exact same thing as what was going to happen anyway so and now he's claiming yeah. it as his own um, yeah of course typical, typical of a new politics government. yeah so we are going so, to start yeah. to wrap up the show now because we uh, sure. it's Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, Nev's roast dinner is uh, waiting for him up at uh, Presswick, and uh, I think he just got a message from Trump. Uh, so obviously he's got to go and meet, uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. you know. Yeah. And uh, I think the Royal Flight's coming down to pick Nev up, which is quite nice. Oh, if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> so, so as we start to wrap up episode 225, then uh, we're going to uh, well thank our guests obviously for coming on the uh, show this week. So a big thanks, uh, big thanks to you two guys. And Dave, uh, just give uh, give your show a plug, and uh, I'll uh, I'll put the uh, put the screenshot up so people can see what the uh, website looks like. Yeah, sure. Um, the Wings Over New Zealand show is a, a podcast that uh, I've been producing since 2011, and uh, it's it's a wide variety of interesting topics of uh, aviation, mainly New Zealand topics, but there's also Australian and British and all sorts of stuff in there, even a Canadian show. So um, we have a worldwide appeal and um, yeah, all, all sorts of uh, interesting interviews with people and uh, even though I'm the host, I try and say as little as possible because I just want to hear what the guests want to say. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's you can find it at um, <laughs> Wings Over New Zealand show. Uh, I guess you'll you'll put the link into the uh, page yeah, to the page. Yeah, I did just flash up on the screen there. And uh, but yeah, take yourselves over and, and you can uh, could do obviously Google search. We'll put the links in the show notes and stuff uh, for the show. So uh, Grant, give us a quick plug for the show that you. Oh no, you don't do one. No, that idea. I used to do the playing crazy down under <laughs> show and. Yeah, I'm trying to see if Steve's ever going to work. Um, he's, he's pretty busy sorting a few things out. And so the question is, are we ever going to do our final um, episode? Yeah, that's a good people question. Supplied for us uh, our, our bumpers and things like that to say, you know, farewell, goodbye, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So long, and thanks for all the fish. But uh, it may be that we just fade away. I don't know because between my time and his, uh, we're, we're both pretty times um, poor at the moment. But. Uh, you know, as Dave said earlier, uh, you can also find me with Dave on the Wings Over New Zealand live show on Warbird Radio. And uh, really looking forward to catching up with Bevan about uh, becoming, I think he's he's got to be probably the youngest P-40 pilot in the world at the moment. But, oh, he has, um, he has to be. And yeah. also, he's he's also uh, the youngest World War One pilot as well. He flies yeah. several different World War One types with uh, the Vintage Aviator here in New Zealand. And... Uh, yeah, he's he's a yeah. really really nice young man as well, and um, everybody on the scene here uh, has a lot of respect for him. So yeah. he'll go far. And, and he and he learned to fly that P forty uh, with uh, Australia, one of Australia's gentleman warbird pilots, which is Doug Hamilton. Uh, Dougie's yes. a real legend. Uh, he, along with Steve Deeth, Alan Arthur, and um, you know Guy Burke and the guys are, you know, they, they're just amazing uh, warbird pilots uh, in the Australian scene. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. So Wings Over New Zealand Live on warbirdradio.com. We pop up there occasionally. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm um, jumping on shows like this and, um, and just flat out with the day job uh, trying to make sure that uh, we do the best we can to support what the guys use when they're in the um, you know, two-way firing range. But, uh, yeah, all good. Excellent. So, Nev, 
And uh, remember where, where we are next week. Where are we next week now? Come on. Yeah, we're off to Farnborough. Uh, I'm going down there with Matt on Friday morning. Um, and uh, then you're coming down later on on Friday, aren't you? Carl? Yes, yeah, and Friday afternoon. Staying Saturday and Sunday as well. So uh, three of us will be down there over the weekend. So if you would like to meet up, probably the best thing to do is to send us a message on Twitter or something like that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be there the whole time doing various interviews and bits and pieces. And we've managed to get a bit of a chat on Sunday afternoon uh, with the guys that run Big Jet TV. So that's going to be fascinating. So we're going to have a long chat with them about uh, how they went about their business and how it all started for them. So uh, and these are the guys, if you don't know, that do this fantastic live coverage from uh, European airports, but mainly from Heathrow, Gatwick and Manchester. Uh, to name but three of them so uh, that'll be great to meet those two guys and uh, really looking forward to the weekend hope the weather behaves itself I'm sure it will do Nev because uh, we are in the midst of a massive British summer so I'm sure it'll be lovely next weekend oh, so the that... rain is lovely and warm I've seen the photos of Riet <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good point actually for anyone who is listening and maybe off to uh, to Riyadh uh, today or you should be on your way there or there even now don't forget to look out for Captain Al and Pilot Pip who are both there uh, today and I think Captain Jeff is there as well isn't he uh, Nev he is yeah, yeah. He yeah. Is. yeah. so that is where we're going to bring episode 225 of the Plane Talking UK podcast to a close a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the live chat room this morning on this Sunday morning massive thanks to everyone in there Low up there been chatting between themselves all morning they have been good and uh, and well hope you enjoy all your uh, Sunday afternoon fun today in the sun wherever you are in the world so a big thanks again to our two guests Grant and Dave for joining us on the show been great to see you both uh, here and uh, thanks for coming on thank hey, you no very much it's been great so from yeah. me Nev and everyone here at PTUK have a great weekend take care and we'll see you well We'll see you, hopefully, see you all again at uh, Farnborough next weekend. So from all us here then, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend and goodbye. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.